Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Very good morning. It's 11 minutes past nine. This is Mick Mulcahy. Quick look at the morning papers. New curbs being considered to control COVID over Christmas, says the front page of the Irish Times. Less socialising, reducing numbers in hospitality settings will be the likely targets. And the state confirms the first case of Omicron as Neffet plans ways to track the new variant. Public health officials will today consider new restrictions as part of an effort to keep COVID-19 under control over the Christmas period. Several officials say the, they expect expect the uh, National Public Health Emergency Team, NEFET, uh, will discuss whether to recommend curbs at its meeting today, given ongoing high levels of infection and the still unknown impact of the Omicron variant. Mutant virus is here, screams the headline. Bit sensationalist in the uh, front of the uh, mirror today. Uh, doctor says blind luck led to the case being detected. The new mutant virus has reached Ireland as the battle begins to stop it spreading. Expert Dr Killian de Gaskin said it was blind luck that the case of Omicron was detected. And Health Chief's plot moves to halt Omicron. New COVID strain Omicron is now in Ireland and Health Chiefs are battling to curb it spread. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly will receive a letter tonight from Dr Tony Hullohan on what the country's next moves should be. And confirming the first Omicron case, Neffitz Dr. Killian de Gaskin said it was identified within the last week, so it's a current case, if you like, rather than an older case. And in the last week, 55 people have died from COVID-19 to bring the death toll to 5,707 since March. Startling reading. Uh, the Star, uh, row over masks rule in primaries. Planning is branded diabolical and pupils to wear one or not be let in. Uh, rules on primary school children wearing masks faced a backlash yesterday with the government blasted over them. Michal Martin has admitted the new rules surrounding primary school children wearing masks are challenging as he tried to quell the backlash. He said there has to be a common sense, discretion and practical approach applied to the requirements. Around 270,000 pupils must now wear a face covering in schools. A medical cert is required for an exemption and those without one will be refused entry. Mr Martin was challenged by Labour leader Alan Kelly in the Dáil yesterday over the legal enforcement of the new regulations. Mr Kelly said the uh, communication surrounding the enforcement was nothing short of diabolical and stated that while he agreed with public health measures, 16 hours was not enough notice to give to school principals. Grim toll of COVID on cancer Detection is the headline on the front of the mail today. Alarming report reveals more than 3,500 cancers may have been missed as health service has been stretched to the limit by the pandemic. More than 3,500 life-changing cancers may have gone undiagnosed because of the COVID crisis, a report has found. Let's go to the Echo and on the front page, sex attacker jailed. And according to the judge, the case portrays every woman's worst nightmare. A student who was sexually attacked by a man on the side of a street in a degrading manner was video recorded by other people passing by. And now the assailant has been sentenced to six years in jail. More on that in a few moments on the Neil Prandival Show. Every Woman's Nightmare is the related headline on the front of the star. Student preyed upon by a sex attacker on her first night out has told of her disgusted people who recorded her ordeal instead of trying to help. Cork star Shoni O'Leary has passed away. You'll have heard it in the uh, sport report uh, from... 
uh, our news and sport team and from Rory, the GAA community is in mourning after the passing of Shawnee O'Leary, a gold poacher supreme in Rebel Red, a vital member of the three in a row winning Cork forward line from 76 to 78 and a champion again in 1984 before his retirement. The diminutive attacker pilfered an incredible 30 championship goals in just 36 games. Some record indeed. Bale of Law site set for upgrade ahead of the centenary of Michael Collins's death. Plans are being drawn up to significantly upgrade the country's most important Civil War commemoration site in advance of the centenary of the fatal shooting there of General Michael Collins. The memorial cross uh, to Michael Collins at Bailenham Law in Cork, which was placed there shortly after his death in August 1922, is pictured on the uh, examiner today. But a team of archaeologists, architects, engineers and officials from County Cork uh, and from Cork County Council and a number of external experts and representatives from government departments are working on plans to upgrade the monument and its surrounds at Bale Nablaw. Was someone telling me that the monument is not actually actually at the spot where Michael Collins fell, that it might be across the road? I hope they do uh, it justice this time, if that is the case. Open for correction on that one. Uh, Cork duo busking for penny dinners. A musical duo has pledged to donate all of its earnings from busking this Saturday to one of Cork's best-known charities. Corey Power... Farronry and Whitechurch man Dylan Brickley are well known for sharing their musical talents on the streets of Cork and they said the people of Cork have always been extremely supportive of them and described this fundraiser as a way of giving back. So look out for them uh, on Saturday and give generously if you can because every single cent uh, that is raised will be going to uh, the good people, Katrina Toomey and her good people at Cork Penny Dinners. We were over long before my girl wrote to tell Ian to leave. Uh, that's from ex Jules. I'd already asked Bailey to move out many times before the letter. We were both trapped in a ghastly situation for 24 years. The split claim has been rubbished. You can check it out on the Daily Star today. Here's a good one. Front page of The Independent uh, today is telling us a story of how Fianna Fáil has declared itself as a charity to run a €600,000 raffle. A new law only allows philanthropic causes to apply for a lottery licence. Taoiseach Michal Martin's party is running its €600,000 raffle with a licence reserved for charities. A new law means that only charities and philanthropic causes like sports clubs and community groups can get a licence from the court to run a lottery. But Fianna Fáil has obtained a licence from the courts to run its lucrative national draw. The latest legal loophole emerges as Fine Gael has raked in just over €1 million Euro from its own super draw. Tarnished Leo Varadkar's party used a legal loophole to adapt to the new law. Sinn Féin is in the money too, after raising more than €200,000 from a fundraiser at an elite golf club. Mary Lou Macdonald's party charged businesses $7,500 per team at the Golf Classic. The Fianna Fáil minister who brought in the modern, sensible and effective new gambling law is promoting the sale of tickets. Junior Minister James Brown is urging supporters to buy the 50 euro tickets. When he introduced the new law exactly a year ago, he said, licenses may be issued by the district court for charitable and philanthropic causes only. For example, sports clubs and community groups. How does a political party fall under that description, I wonder? Under another government uh, law governing charities, the Charities Act 2009, political parties cannot be recognised as charities. So I ask you the question, are they all breaking the law? The charities regulator reiterated this in guidelines three years ago. Yet Fianna Fáil has obtained a licence from the district court to run the lottery. The party is availing of a loophole to uh, come in under the umbrella of a charity to hold its super draw, which brings in about 600 grand to party coffers. A lottery licence from the court allows Fianna Fáil 
to charge €50 Euro per ticket rather than the maximum of €10 Euro under a permit from the Gardaí. Not doing much for themselves in the popularity stakes, are they? I didn't pull the trigger, says Alec Baldwin. Uh, this documentary is going to be released tonight. There are snippets of it available uh, and have been played uh, on various media. Alec Baldwin says he did not pull the trigger of the gun that fired a live bullet and killed a cinematographer on the set of the movie Rust Baldwin, who was holding a gun he was told was safe when it went off, spoke in his first interview about the October shooting in New Mexico. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger, the actor insisted. So you never pulled the trigger, uh, journalist George Stephanopoulos asks. No, 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 I would never point a gun at anyone and never pull a trigger at them, never, uh, Baldwin replied. Well, if that's a legal angle, I don't know. It's a tragedy. He's devastated by it. It seems to have been a tragic accident. Uh, and the uh, investigation continues there. Uh, Mr. Tato, we uh, covered this one yesterday, makes the mail today. Uh, Boris believes he's a crisp devotee. Uh, it looks like he's uh, talking, though, about Northern Irish Tatoes, which are a completely different company to Tato in Ireland, I'm led to believe. So maybe he's not so uh, Irish Tato after all. The big 5-0 no after historic 50 rollovers. There is still no winner of the 19 million euro uh, Lotto says the sun today. The Lotto jackpot rolled over for a record 50th time last night with still no winner. And there's more in the papers we'll get to uh, if we get the chance uh, during the morning. But let's get down to the business of the day on the Neil Prendeville Show. The Neil Prendeville Show. Now making some of the morning papers today in dramatic fashion is the woman who was sexually assaulted on a street uh, and uh, the claims that she has disgusted at people who recorded and posted same to social media. Good morning, Rachel McElroy. Good morning. Now, can I first salute your bravery for coming forward, first of all, for being allowed to be identified uh, and for, for doing an interview such as this, which cannot be easy. Um, Bagrat Kudzevi of Albert Road, Cork City, was jailed for six years uh, with a, a last year suspended, I think, if he leaves the country for what a judge described as a degrading sexual assault, uh, assault on you. Now, you were just 18 and you were just going out for your 18 sort of first night out celebrating that kind of thing. It was uh, it was my first college night out. And uh, me and my friends, we decided to go for a few drinks. Okay. And then it's, that it, happened that night then. Yeah, it's, it seems that the few drinks took a bigger toll than you would expect. Is, is that fair to say? You can put it that way, yes. But... Um, all I can remember anyway was having two drinks at my friend's house and then me and my other friend, we took a shot then up at the bar and after that my memory has just been blank uh-huh. up until my mouth swabbed in the guard station. Okay. And piecing all of the story together now, it, it looks as though uh, when you were on this innocent night out uh, and apparently consumed a relatively small amount of alcohol... It seems to have had a significant effect anyway. And now we know that uh, CCTV footage showed you uh, falling over a little bit in the Cork City Centre nightclub and being kind of emotional and upset. And, and is, that, is that when this guy moved in then? Yeah, it took him seven minutes to leave me out of the premises. Okay, and was there anyone else concerned, concerned at that stage for you? The bouncers, the, we went outside to look for my friends. He told me my friends were outside, so we went out to check if they were there. And they weren't there. Took him seven minutes then to just lead from meeting me to leading me outside of the premises. Okay. Uh, and in what condition do you remember your friends being in? Or do they do they remember themselves? Were they not alarmed for you? Uh, they were actually, they were all spread out in the 
pub and I was actually searching for my friend but then they were looking for me and then the guards rang my friend told them I was arrested for drunken disorder because they weren't able to tell them over the phone what happened oh okay uh, and this was sometime later so yeah they didn't know until uh, the morning after okay whenever I was able to ring them Okay, with the benefit of all the evidence that has been produced now, could, could could you take up the story, if it's not too painful for you, could you take up the story from being escorted, if you like, out of the nightclub? Yeah, see, I don't have much memory of what happened, but with the CCTV, I'm able to put bits yes. and pieces together. But, like, I went up, I had a couple of drinks in my friend's house, had one shot there when we went to the pub, and after that, my memory was blank. I was in the Garda station then getting my mouth swabbed. I remember I was crying. My mother then had taken me home. I woke up then the following morning. I didn't know who I was, who my mother was, didn't know where I was. I was supposed to stay in court that night. And uh, then I was looking around my room. I was able to come around. I was realizing what was going on. And then my mother had told me what happened and just let me in a devastating state, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading the reports from the from the newspapers, um, you were in an emotional state. They say uh, after falling over in the Cork City Centre nightclub, and then you and your friends went into the uh, into the smoking area, and uh, unwittingly you sat down beside uh, Kudzevi. So within ten minutes, you were leaving with him, and was it no? Even though you have no memory or recollection of this, and was on the street uh, outside. Uh, and were witnessed in uh, in what the papers say uh, and in the evidence that was given to court, quote, engaging in the most intimate of acts. Um, so that's a very predatory sort of a situation to be in, even though you can't remember. Uh, now, the question has to be asked. There were witnesses. There were people filming this. Did they not yeah. have any concern for your well-being or interrupt or, or, you know, create a little bit of alarm in in the mind of your attacker to say, uh-oh, I've been caught here. How could somebody well, film this and, and, and not alarm anybody? Well, from my point of view, I think that they had no respect. They're girls who are older than me, and they were just acting on childish behaviour, really, if you're asking me. Okay. And would they have maybe assumed that this is somebody, albeit very drunk, who is engaging in a consensual sexual act? From what I see, if that was anyone having sexual contact outside, I would say that it's inappropriate. And if it was anyone else, you'd try and get them to stop because it's in a public area. Okay. And and is is it maybe the desire to have that golden piece of footage that will go viral, uh, even even make some money, uh, that that these people could callously keep filming while you were obviously in a distressed state they could have yeah but they I know that they plastered it all over Snapchat and I think they had the video saved because they were able to get the video then for the court okay so on top of the complete uh, utter liberty and the very predatory nature of what happened and the complete invasion uh, not only of your human rights but of your body uh, on top of all this you then had to suffer the ignominy of it being uh, uploaded to social media yeah that is right how did that make you feel 
it makes me sad and hurt because I don't understand why someone could do that or how they could do that, even if it wasn't a sexual attack. It still shouldn't have been plastered all over Snapchat. Okay. You know, it shouldn't be on any bit of social media. Now, your attacker, Kudzevi, then lifted you up and carried you across a bridge to a more secluded location. That in itself is even more sinister, isn't it? Yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't capable of walking or anything. You could see in the CCTV that I was stumbling, I was falling. And whenever he lifted me up, my head was falling to the side, like... You can see I wasn't capable of doing anything. Yeah, and uh, claiming that... I think the claim in court was made by uh, by his legal team that uh, he was in a terrible condition altogether from alcohol, which was discounted by the judge because he was well able to carry you. Yes, that's correct. He said he said to the court that he has um, possibly three or four drinks that night. Okay. So... The bouncers now of the club are becoming concerned, possibly seeing your head bobbing or something, possibly seeing him lifting you to a quieter location over the bridge. And they followed and um, they were concerned not only about your level of intoxication, but for your safety at this stage. Uh, And they followed and they found what the papers say is Kudzevi lying on the woman, uh, is what they say, whose trousers and underwear were pulled down. So they pulled Kudzevi away from you and he was arrested uh, this is before you have any recollection, of course. Uh, he was initially certified unfit for interview due to his intoxication. So he must have been fairly drunk. But Justice Barnes noticed he was quite capable of carrying you without a stumble or a fall. Uh, so then the parts of the story that you remember, Rachel, uh, come into being. You now find yourself in the Garda station, m- your mouth being swabbed. Can you take it from there a little? Um, that's all I can remember really I just kind of remember I was crying I was getting my mouth swabbed and I just seen a few guards around me and it was in the guard station and that's all I have really of mm-hmm. a memory of okay. until the following morning when my mother woke me up okay so court case happens sentence is given uh, and in your victim impact statement, you said um, when your mother uh, was told what happened, that the news left her crying for hours. Could you just maybe, because you're so brave in coming forward and being identified and even coming on the air, can you just maybe tell us how things went from there? Your mother's now crying. Uh, you, you know, you've been violated. Uh, how did how did you pick up the pieces or what was the damage afterwards? Well, my mother, when my mother had woken me up, she asked me to look at my clothes. I looked at my clothes. I was in a different clothing pieces from the night before that the guards had given me. Okay. And I realized that I wasn't wearing a bra and I asked my mother then why I wasn't wearing a bra. She explained then what happened. We then had to go up to Cork. I had to go to the South Infirmary to get a few more swabs done and a few blood tests and everything. And then I had to go talk to detectives and guards about what happened and what I could have. I told them what I could remember and everything. Okay. But then I've since then, like I've come back to college. You dropped. You dropped out of college for a while, did you? Yeah, I, uh, it was my first year of college and it was basically our first month of college. 
and then after that happened, I couldn't really be around Cork or anything. So slowly but surely, you began to um, piece your life back together and get, and you know rebuild your confidence. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I have built a lot more confidence than what I would have had back then. Yeah, it's obvious from the the report that was played on our news bulletin that uh, you hold no uh, sympathy or pity uh, for this guy. Um, you know, you, even the word hatred came in. Um, once again, to salute your bravery, why did you feel that you needed to be identified and to come forward so strongly? Because if it can help any girl out there to come forward to talk about things like this, because keeping it bottled up isn't very good either. Like, I didn't speak with counsellors for at least five, six months after it happened. Could have been longer. And I feel like that just bottling up bottling it up is just hard to take and whatever you, like since I've talked to a lot of people I feel like this has lifted a lot of weight off my shoulders Wow, I'm, I'm glad it's being a little therapeutic for you if that's the case Yeah, it has been So what's life like now? Is it, it, You'll never put it behind you I guess you'll never forget it is I'll it- never forget it yeah but I'm going to just put it over my head now it's time to just move on with my life I got the closure I needed yes and and how important was that the sentencing and, and the validation that this was a predator and that you were not in any way at fault I felt so relieved whenever I heard doors that he was found guilty on both charges I thought he was going to get a lesser sentence as well. I thought he was only going to get an extra year or two. So, like, all of that has just, like, been so overwhelming and it's built my confidence a lot more. And you've since thanked the guards for all the work they've put in. You've thanked the legal system. You've thanked the judge. Um, Did you ever feel the burden of proof was on you in court or did you feel that this was kind of a... Uh, a solid case that there would be a sentence. Did you ever worry he wouldn't get sentenced? Yeah, see, I was... I fully convinced myself that he was going to get away with it. And I was just so worried in court. I kept sitting outside out in the fresh air trying to breathe, trying to relax myself, thinking that he was going to get away with it. And then... I just heard the words of him being found guilty on the boat charges and it was just a big weight lifted off my shoulders knowing that he won't be able to hurt another girl. Rachel, I've got I've got Mary Crilly on the line from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. I can speak to her individually if you wish, but would you like her to come on and maybe just say a few words to you as well? Yeah, that's no problem at all. Okay, uh, good morning, Mary Crilly. Morning, morning, Mick. Uh, what what do you think of this woman, this incredible brave woman? I just want to say fair play to Rachel and thank you so much because since yesterday we've had a number of calls um, from young girls who've had similar things happen but very often if somebody can't remember what happened they often say what's the point in even reporting it because I won't remember anything I don't know what to say and you've just proven that there is a point in reporting there is a point in standing up and I think what you're really helping people with is the victim blaming is that they realise now it wasn't their fault 
you know, if they were drunk, if somebody did this to them when they were in a condition where they couldn't consent, well, then it wasn't their fault. But too often, girls blame themselves and say, it's my fault. If I hadn't drank so much, this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't drank so much, if I hadn't taken care. And we put the responsibility totally, you know, on the young woman or the young man who's raped. So I just think, well done and fair play to you. And whatever about this taking a lot off your shoulders, you have no idea what you have done and the ripple that this is going to, that this is going to have and the effect it's going to have on other young girls who've had something similar happened who feel I'm not on my own. Like this guy's a predator. He was very deliberate in what he did. It wasn't like some people might think in origin, you know, that he saw young girls for a game. He was very deliberate, as rape is. Rape is always black and white. It's always very deliberate. Unfortunately, um, society changes it into being grey if a young girl gets raped. We often say, well, it was her fault. She did this or she did that or she didn't mind herself. And I think this shows the reality of what rape is because it's always black and white. And I think the ones who videoed it are complicit in the whole thing and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. It reminds me of, do you remember there, Mick, a few months ago, there was um, a video going around some New York kind of underground where a woman was raped on, you know, on a train by people watching. And I remember thinking, my God, that's terrific. And somebody said to me, well, that would never happen here. And it is happening here. Like, I think even a year or so ago, you might have interviewed Katrina Toomey, where she said she pulled um, a man off a woman who has been raped during, it was a time during mm-hmm. COVID when she was wandering the streets with, uh, with night riders. And I know people might say they don't want to get involved, but I think if there's a gang, if there's a lot of people videoing, they could go over and do something and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, because Mary, while no means no means no all the time, 100% of the time, when you're, when you're not even able to say no, isn't that worse? That's more predatory. But when you're not able to say no, you can't consent and it's quite obvious, you know, the condition that Rachel was in and I admire her just kind of saying, this is her reality, this is what happened. Um, so she couldn't be consent. So those that were videoing it, it just shows you how people can distance themselves from something kind of saying this wouldn't happen to me if that was their sister lying there being raped and being carried to another area I wonder would be so complicit and so quick about videoing it I bet they wouldn't so they just saw a man doing this a young girl kind of not being able to consent in a condition where she was totally powerless and being sexually assaulted and decided to video her that's, that's just appalling Rachel, finally, you know, you've been brave up to this. Now there's publicity around it. Is this sort of an interview on radio and this sort of publicity and this affirmation from Mary Crilly that, you know, number one, you did nothing wrong. Number two, you're very brave. Number three, you're really, really, really helping people now. Does that give a sort of a positive validation to you? Does it give you a lift? Yeah, it does. It's lifted a lot of weight off my shoulders and hoping this can save just at least one girl out there. It'll make me happy. And, you know, like my phone has been hopping. I have people thanking me for speaking out and everything because it will help a lot of people out there. Fantastic. Let's leave it at that. But Rachel, thank you for your bravery. Thank you for shedding the light. Thank you for the truth. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thanks, Mary Crilly, as well, from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much as well, Mary. That's very good. Sorry, Rachel. Grab a coffee, you two, sometime, yeah? We will. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, Rachel. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, if you've been affected by the content of that interview, the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork is available on two numbers. Uh, You can free phone 1-800-496-496. Free phone, 1-800-496-496. You can text them at 087-1533-393. You can text them at 
Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 18 minutes to 10. Good morning to Gillian. Hi, Gillian. Hi, how are you? Very good. Uh, before we start, I'm just looking at a very funny text there that uh, I just have to tell you about. Red FM should play another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd, the full version, <laughs> and replace the word teacher with Taoiseach. Hey, Taoiseach, leave those yeah. kids alone. So your house is very upset today, not to uh, yeah, make, be making we fun are of it. Absolutely. It's horrific. My house is broken up again this morning, as well as just the evening when the kids come in from school. They were hysterical yesterday evening when they came in from school, to be honest, very distressed. Um, my kids have um, asthma and my youngest boy has speech issues now the doctors will not issue certificates, they are leaving it up to the schools to be honest and not alone that no but I mean my kids didn't want to go out the door, I had to push them out the door this morning to go to school because they were worried they would be refused entry at the door because they didn't have um, a cert from the doctor Um, also the problem was now as well is um, if they didn't wear a mask this morning, my son said that he would be sidelined, he would be punished if he didn't have a mask on his face this morning. And also what could happen was they, my, my younger boy said he would be sat at a, a table on his own, discriminated because he couldn't wear a mask because he had speech issues and asthma. Who, who, would, who did he feel would punish him? The teachers. Isn't that a terrible way to be going out to school? It's, it's horrific. I'm, I'm very upset. I'll be honest. I just, I can't eat or sleep at the moment because of the stress we're put under. It's horrific. Okay, so there's, there's a government horrific. diktat. There's 16 hours or so for the schools to react. Uh, some of the schools are reacting quite strongly here. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, they're trying to soften it a little by saying, but of course the principals no. will have discretion. No, and now, but now you're no. relying on that single principle to have discretion. And to tell the, the teacher, this, is, this child can come in without a mask. Yeah. It's psychological damage to the kids. There was a HICWA report done there. I have it actually. There's 40 pages long. The protocols in the schools, I have it printed off. And in that protocol, it clearly states that it's psychologically, it's wrong. It's damaging for children under the age of 13 to wear a mask for seven hours all day. It's wrong. Okay, I mean, and you, you I have... I can't understand parents. They will not stand up. You know, I mean, they, to expect a small child to go in for seven hours a day to be forced or coerced it, into wearing a mask that they can't physically wear, it's damaging to their mental health and long-term effects. Like, who's going to pick up these damages? Is Hall Martin going to pick up the damages done to our kids? They're already damaged. I mean, the stress that he put my family under with the t- two days isn't it's wrong it's crazy my kids are crying they can't go to sleep they're being they don't want to go to school it's because of me hall martin he should be dragged out you've got four children jillian five eight yeah. ten and thirteen now you've got an 13. exemption for the 13 year old but all your kids have asthma they do yeah yeah, they do have asthma. And my older boy, my doctor would not give me an exemption um, for my son. I had to go privately to another doctor who was willing to give me an exemption. I paid 40 euros to get a letter because my doctor won't give me. I have asthma myself. He will not give exemptions. They are told not to give exemptions. The government has basically has told those doctors it's there not to give out exemptions to anybody. Everybody should be wearing a mask. I'm sorry. Not every person can wear a mask all day for seven hours. I'm actually challenging Michal Martin to put a mask on his face for seven hours long and not take it off and see how he manages. We, we have no evidence, of course, that the doctors were asked by the government to, 
to not give exemptions yeah. to anybody. They must use their, their own discretion, they their own medical knowledge. There's very little doctors out there that will do it. I will have to pay privately to a doctor to get an exemption for my children. It's wrong. It'll, I can't afford to go and pay 80 quid out for two kids that clearly need and they cannot wear a mask all day long. They're struggling to be... I mean, what if my child collapsed in school? Who's going to take that responsibility? Have you been in touch with the principal directly? I have, yeah. I, I have actually sent him a letter um, stating my stance on that my kids would clear would not be wearing a mask. He knows my child, my younger son goes for speech therapy, which he lost out on due to this lockdown. And the last two years have been horrific. His development has gone backwards and not forwards because of all these lockdowns. It has really affected him. And my older son, who is in secondary school, he has to, he has an exemption, but he doesn't want to be outcasted in society. He tries to put on the mask. He pulls it under his nose. He comes out with headaches some days. He doesn't want to go to school. His grades are gone back by two grades. He was an A student. He's now a C student because of the damage done. Okay, hold, hold there, Gillian. Shane, good morning to you. Morning. Hi, Shane. You have an 11-year-old. They've gone to school without That's a mask, right. have they? That's right, yeah, and they won't be wearing a mask. Um, I, I feel that lady's pain there. It is utterly shameful. It is disgraceful to carry on out of this government, out of uh, Minister Foley. Um, and to, to be honest, I think parents need to, you know, stand up for their children now because this is complete overreach by the state. But the state are acting, even if they are overreaching, they're acting on the advice of Neffet. Well, look, we have rights here and our children have rights. And the, 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 the advice from Neffet, now just going back to that lady's comment about HICWA, every time the, the Neffet gave advice to the government on the child mass, they went to HICWA to get a, a risk assessment. And on this one particular occasion, from what I'm reading, they didn't seek the advice of HICWA. And I'm wondering why that is. That's a fair question. Uh, Gillian, do you know why they didn't look for it this time? It just got rushed in? Because Netflix thinks that they can control our children and dictate and tell us what to do with our children. There is clearly an assessment stating that the kids should not be wearing masks under the age of 13. Netflix are not. They, go for, they are unelected. We are the parents. We decide for our children what's best for our children. They are criminals to tell us to put masks on our kids when it clearly states in the school protocols that were signed in in August that children under no circumstances should be wearing masks because it's psychological damage long term with their development. They need facial expression and that was one of the things that came up with children. They need facial expression to express themselves. Yes, yeah, that's, that's come up quite a lot actually and especially for someone who, who is yeah. attending speech therapy. Yeah, I mean, and the other side of it, for all children, they need to be left breed freely. They need to be able to smile. I mean, masking children for seven hours a day and not allowing them to breed freely, it's criminal. It's child abuse to do that to a child. What's the solution, though? They can't really close the schools. Uh, well, even you know what? No, all of my kids have been sick. They had it very mild, to be honest. They had it milder than any other flu that they've had before. Children do not get sick from this. And I'm being honest, they're frozen with the last two weeks. The windows are wide open. My daughter came home with a heavy cold the other day. She was choking because the windows were open. I had to put three extra layers under them going to school. I mean, no wonder the kids are sick. No wonder. Okay, final word from you, Shane. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you. Yeah, look, Thank I, 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 I don't really understand here what's going on. This is absolutely farcical, the mixed messaging here. 
this clearly doesn't impact children at all. And there's a, mess, a, a letter from Tony Hool him sent to the school yesterday, and he even says that that it doesn't impact the children. But but the incidence so, of COVID is is uh, massively escalated but, in children now. But but. But it doesn't impact them. They're not getting very sick and stuff. And then if they're saying that they're spreading this, well, 90% of the population are vaccinated. So it should make no difference if the children have it or not because the vaccine should be protecting people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you think if they had continued with the uh, contact tracing, uh, the element of contact tracing on close contacts with children, which they seem to have abandoned six weeks ago, we wouldn't be in this situation. Do you know what I think? Yeah, that's probably part of it. But what what I think is that They've done everything now. They've gone through the, the, the lockdowns, the vaccinations, and nothing's working. And there's more coming. So, there's going to be hotel quarantine, yeah, mandatory yeah, yeah, coming back. The only thing they didn't do, the only thing they didn't do was go after children. So they're victimizing the children here for their absolute incompetence and the reason it's not working. They're targeting the children now and saying, oh, sure, we'll go after the children now and we'll mask them up and we'll get them vaccinated and that'll fix it. And you know what? It won't. I know. I gotta leave it there, but listen, thanks a million for your comments. Coming up on uh, nine minutes to ten now. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Coming up on five to ten, our text machine going into meltdown. Uh, tell that lady to keep her children at home. Do their work with them. I've never heard such dramatics on the radio, says another texter. Don't send your child to school. It's not good for their health. There's a circus running the country. And hi, Mick, this one ranting about wearing masks clearly doesn't know what real oppression and hardship is. This is ridiculous. Children in other countries are actually suffering and actually have to face severe consequences for even attending schools like girls in Afghanistan. This madness about the masks is just pathetic, says Siobhan. Now to our fabulous competition from Homefront Giftware and Interiors. We're not opening the lines right now, but we will uh, over the next uh, couple of hours or so, closer to 11 and maybe closer to 12 o'clock. But just to give you um, a little info on it, this is uh, a week-long competition where every day we have two 200 euro vouchers for Homefront Giftware and Interiors. It's impossible for me to describe the amount and the variety of gifts that are available here. But you can easily find out by checking into their uh, brand new revamped website, homefrontgiftware.ie. And that could solve a lot of your Christmas uh, gift conundrums. Homefrontgiftware.ie. It's a Cork family business specializing in all your giftware and interior needs. We're not going to give you the question now, but we're going to ask a Christmassy question when we get our callers on the air and whoever gets closest to the pin. For instance, uh, the uh, answer yesterday was 75%. And somebody guessed 70 and somebody guessed 80. They were equally close to the pin, so we gave them both a prize. Uh, but their brand new website anyway is homefrontgiftware.ie. And it's a family-owned Cork business established in Carrigaline in 1999. Now it's in six locations. Carrigaline, Bandon, Middleton, Wilton, Douglas and Blackpool. But more importantly, it's online at homefrontgiftware.ie. We have news coming up on the Neil Prandeville Show at 10 o'clock. Don't forget you can phone us 1850104106 and by text and WhatsApp 0868104106. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, Supermax boss Pat McDonough says the group is now recruiting workers from overseas due to a shortage of Irish applicants. And what's caused some uh, little concern and some reaction is that he's labelled uh, many Irish people uh, as lazy uh, if they were getting the pup. And the quote is, as the PUP caused people to get a bit 
lazy. Uh, so let's bid him good morning. Good morning, Pat McDonough. Good morning, how are you? I'm very good. Now, isn't is that a bit incendiary, calling people lazy? Uh, or are you experiencing that you cannot recruit here? Well, I think that was taken pretty much out of context. I think people generally, uh, probably even including yourself and myself, uh, have, are getting kind of weary of, of the, the, the COVID and uh, tired. And even I would notice in the last couple of months, maybe customers becoming a little bit more impatient and irritable. Uh, across the board uh-huh. and I feel for people in the you know catering industry whether it's in hospitality or in hotels or in pubs or whatever because you know the uncertainty of what's happening out there uh, is causing a lot of stress and uh, even when I did that interview uh, which was a couple of weeks ago um, you know everything looked rosy for Christmas and uh you know, you had plenty of bookings, and especially in the hotel side of the business for Christmas parties, etc. Then, within within a week of that, fifty percent of parties were were cancelled, uh-huh. and uh, now pretty much all all parties are cancelled. Yeah, so no, you're you're in that industry are really are really suffering at the moment. But okay, your, your group has made a, a big foray into the hotel market now as well, Pat. Uh, and and there were reports that the hotel industry were. Uh, you know, m- making better wage offers and sucking the uh, the talent, if you like, out of the hospitality sector uh, in the fast food side. Have you experienced that? Uh, not particularly. It's kind of there. It's a different section of the of the business as such. No, look, wages have improved or increased dramatically, as I say, especially for qualified people like chefs and management, etc. Uh, and and in in that industry. And because of the, the closures, an awful lot of people left that industry during the, the over the last whatever it is, eighteen months or two years, because of the uncertainty of it. And some people kind of saw that 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 you know there was a better lifestyle when they worked in a, in, a, in a local factory or when they became a rep for some food company or whatever company out there. Uh, and so, therefore, not a lot, lot of people left that industry and a lot of people obviously went back to Eastern Europe as well so it created a a massive scarcity of of, uh, people to work in the industry especially when things opened last May and June uh, and you know everybody was was canvassing the same staff out there which was from a limited limited number of people but uh, you know it is it is uh, it is just generally a situation where there is a scarcity across the board for um, uh, for all types of catering the industry, and uh, you know, it, it has become a pretty stressful job as well because with the COVID restrictions and with COVID regulations that you have to check for, um, uh, for, for obviously for the the, the, the certificates. Yeah. Some people are anti-maskers, or some people aren't, and you know, we're in the in the, in the front line of that, and you're expected to enforce the. The law, even though you have no real authority to do it. Yeah, no, you, you've been recruiting from abroad for many, many years. You've got a person working full-time recruiting staff from abroad. Uh, you did a similar recruitment drive from Malaysia as far back as 2004. Malaysia and the, the Philippines, yeah, back in 2004 when there was, uh, a, a, again, a scarcity of staff on the catering side of things. Yeah, we brought in people from uh, Malaysia, Philippines, etc., as did many other companies. Uh, so, it's only in the last six months we've decided to, to to follow the same route, and we are actually now advertising for people in from Eastern Europe and indeed Western Europe, with quite quite a few from Spain, Italy, Portugal, uh, France, even, and and uh, 
and in the in the Eastern European countries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat, you 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 employ um, by nationality about eighty percent Irish and twenty percent foreign workers. When I mentioned the other day, you might be coming on. Got a bit of a backlash with uh, some people saying that you you know you're you're the minimum wage vulture. Uh, some people calling you a slave driver. How would you counter that? Look, as I say, there's jobs in within our industry. Based anyone starting off is on on the base grade of 10, 50 an hour or whatever, and that moves up to 70, 80, 100,000 a year salaries. Uh, if you were starting off in any business, people have to, to train, and most especially nowadays, uh, you know, I, 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 I suppose I, I'm surprised at how basic you have to kind of start people training nowadays and sweeping the floor and doing the basic things. Uh but as I say, as they grow on and as they learn the business, etc., they agree that they, the wages increase accordingly. And so, therefore, you know, and this isn't, as I say, anything to do really with wages, because whether you're looking at for a job for for somebody for sixty thousand in marketing, or you know, seventy or eighty thousand, or whatever in in hotel industry, and, and maybe up to a hundred thousand if there's a management uh, senior management role, you know. Just that the numbers aren't out there, and the, the, the uh, as I say, the market isn't isn't there to pick from. Is, so, is it is it safe to say, Pat, it's that, right that across, it's right across the board? It's not just uh, and and I think people have reassessed where they are in their lives, and a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, we, I, I know actually someone who has decided that uh, they want to work part time because they want to spend more time with the kids. They had so. Uh, Good time went during the lockdown with the kids, and they said, "Look, we can make a sacrifice. We can get rid of a car. We can, I can work. Uh, you know, fifty percent of the time I worked last year, and the rest race isn't this isn't the same." Yeah, so, I'm just wondering about the percentages, though, Patty. You're opening a new place in, in a plaza in Tume, uh, and it's going to be seventy percent Irish or eighty percent Irish, and then you're going to have the the corresponding thirty or twenty percent uh, non-national. Is it safe to say, without those non-nationals, you couldn't open at all? Pretty much so, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's the situation. It is like we 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 search the market there. Uh, I'm delighted that that the seventy percent or seventy five percent or whatever it is uh, is uh, of, of local people we got. And um, some people obviously didn't even turn up for interview, uh, and maybe maybe change their mind. Some people uh, decided uh, to, to to come with us. Some people didn't. So. Uh, we had to kind of seek the rest uh, elsewhere. So it's as simple as that. And it's the same in construction. It's the same in any business across the country. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I said it in some other interview, I could see 20% of business changing hands inside the next uh, next two years because, you know, the stress levels that management and, and uh, owners have to, to endure at the moment in relation to everything that's attached to running a business uh, and the uncertainty of it, it's going to drive an awful lot of people out of business over the next couple of years. Okay, and uh, you're pretty long in the tooth now in this business. You're you're many many years at it. Uh, you're obviously supremely successful. Uh, why do you keep doing it, Pat? Um, as long as uh, I have the interest and the love for the business and the the pride in the business, and uh, as long as you can drive on with pride, with passion, and with purpose, I stay doing it. But you know. There comes a time when you have to to, mm. to, to say as well, and it's probably uh, <laughs> I like the way you push her along in the tooth. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and I only think that I was young that. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. 
So as long as you, it doesn't matter what job or what business you're in. If you like it, if you love it, if you uh, have spent your life at it, well then, you know, th- th- there's there's a purpose for it. If uh, if you don't like it, in, in any job, whether it's in any job, if you don't like it, then get out of it and move on. Yeah, yeah. And as a brand that had the temerity to take on the, you know, the behemoth that, that is McDonald's, um, you know, you you really have stamped your name on, uh, if I can be delineate, the catering subsection, if you like, of the hospitality industry. Look, you have to be stand up for yourself in this life, no matter what you're doing, whether it's in 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 in, in any position that you're in, and you're going to create a few enemies, and I suppose that was one of them. But when you stand for the truth and you stand for what you believe in, then you know, you can look in the mirror and say, you know, I did a good job or whatever and uh, uh, be proud of who you are and where you're from. Okay. And, and to counter those people who think you are that uh, minimum wage vulture, uh, c- can you maybe sell me the reason why people will want to go to work in Supermax? Is it because uh, it would be flexible hours? You can, you know, you can work around your busy lifestyle. Is it because there is, uh, as you were saying, there is uh, a career advancement and um, remuneration advancement possibilities. Uh, or in, in, in essence, I suppose what I'm asking is, is the catering section of hospitality beneath Irish people now? Um, I think most, a lot of Irish people kind of would like to work nine to five regular hours. I think that, that has become very obvious in the last uh, while. Some people have got used to working from home. Uh, you know, we've had uh, a few... Uh, applicants for various jobs and the first request was can I work from home uh, and for the most part in the catering industry you know you have to be on the on the ground it's pretty much face and to face so, isn't it yeah absolutely and uh, so as I say but it's whatever people want if, if 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 you like what you're doing again some people are suited to catering some people are suited to teaching I was teaching for a while uh, it's a great it's a great job and uh, you know but you have to be cut out for it because not everyone is cut out for it. So if you're not cut out for what you do and if you don't like it, if you don't love it, you're not going to succeed in it. So, you know, that's just the way it is. And a lot of our, our staff, and especially at ground floor level, would be young. They'd be students, they'd be kind of learning the trade, they'd be learning how to deal with people. There's a lot of, uh, as I say, advantages to, to go and work in. It doesn't matter whether it's in retail or whether it's in catering or whether it's in any construction or whatever, you learn from dealing with people every time you meet them and you learn the street smarts that you will never learn in college and uh, my advice to any young people or any uh, parents or whatever, don't stop your kids from working in jobs for the summer or whatever, uh-huh. let them learn it'll, it'll, it'll come to their to, 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 to value them later on in life and they learned and from that experience something that they never never learned in the college. Uh, somebody said uh, the thirty percent Irish jobs must be management. Would you comment on that? Thirty uh, percent. Are, are the thirty percent on the floor or are they management? I'm not sure what that question is. It's, 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 a mixture. it's, a, it's if there's if there's thirty percent uh, are thirty percent of the Irish. Uh, people are 30% of all your jobs management. I, I, I can't understand the question myself. So what are the 30% jobs management question mark is the, is the actual text. Let's move on. Um, how big is the group now, Pat? Are you in Europe and how many people do you employ? 
Um, well, I suppose across the board between franchisees and between uh, um, between hotels and between classes, etc. Uh, haven't checked it lately because it fluctuates a bit. Um, it, it's in excess of three thousand anyway, and um, you know it's okay. We're in Northern Ireland, and, and that we haven't in Europe yet. Uh, but uh, you know that's a, a possibility for the future. But at the moment, we have to deal with the with the cars that's played in front of us, and that's really where where we are. There's plenty of still plenty of opportunity in Ireland that we we. Um, uh, we see we have to take advantage or take the opportunity while it's there because it's not going to last too long. So, as I say, it's it's. Uh, but at the moment, uh, our main objective is getting Tomb Plaza open as soon as possible inside the next month, and uh, uh, that's that's the, the that's the reason I suppose I'm on here this morning. Sure. So, so in general, across the Supermax brand, across the group, and across your what now four hotels, there are always opportunities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's well, actually, there's six hotels. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, there's always opportunities. There's just there's because there's constant change out there, um, and and look, this time will pass as well, and there is going to be better days ahead. Uh, we are in the middle of it again, I suppose, and unfortunately, it's it's a uh, it's a bit of a downer for those in the especially in the hotel side of the business because you're you're going from a hundred miles an hour down to twenty, you know, inside a few weeks, but. Uh, but t- these times will pass and things will improve and things will get better and uh, whether it takes a year, two years, three years, then so be it. You know, you have to take the, as I say, take take the, play the cards you're dealt with and, mm. and uh, keep going. Appreciate that, Pat. And uh, listen, there's no sign of you slowing down anyway and we have a positive comment to finish because we did have a couple of negative ones. Well said, Pat McDonough. Don't forget, we're the only country in Europe where you get paid to do nothing. Love the show and regards to Pat from Mossy the Postman. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks a million, Pat, and uh, continued success with the growth of the group. And uh, and uh, let's recognise the fact that you are one of the big, big Irish employers, not just of uh, non-nationals, but a, a major employer in Ireland, shall we say. Thanks very much. Thanks that's, and good morning. That's, that's Pat McDonough, uh, the uh, chief of the Supermax Group, and now at six hotels. They're recruiting 100 workers from Eastern Europe, and uh, the mix of that will be probably about uh, 45, Pat said in his report, going into the hotels and 55 into the Supermax chain. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Let's get a line one and Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello, Michael. How are you keeping? Very good. There's something strange going on up in Nahini, is there? There is. There is eerie. <laughs> Go on. Tell us about it. I think, Michael, um, it's going on there for the last year or so. There, um, it's just a, a vibrating noise, like, no? Um, it, it kind of, it's, they're putting um, a G5 thing up there. They're putting it on the wire and, um, and the poles and, and stuff, like, no? But since then, like, does it vibrate noise around the day or at night, like, no? Uh, have you tracked it to any particular pole or any particular electricity supply no, box or anything? I rang the SP. They have a, they have a smart generation station across the way. They came up, checked out, said it's not coming from there. Uh, they gave me a number of a new crowd out that does the, the wiring out today. Like, no, they, they, the SP don't do it no more. They never got back to me. It actually stopped for the way. Yeah, but has anyone actually traced the source of the noise? Hello, Paul? 
Yes, Michael. Sorry, has anyone traced the source of the noise? No, no. And how loud is it? Very, very noisy, Michael. Like, no, it's very... Um, kind of reminds of a radiation kind of thing, like, no? Right, okay. So so it would actually sound like a an ESB substation or something? It kind of reminds you of a, a big, heavy diesel generator down, down a tunnel. No, that kind of... A okay, and, and have you... Has people have people stood next to the uh, what what you're calling the um, the five G masts? Is, is it that? That no, I, I didn't. You know, it was just I thought that it was going to stop. Like no. Yeah, but let's let's put it out there and see if any of our listeners can uh, shed some light on it, Paul. All right. I'd, I'd appreciate it, my yeah, Okay. I'd appreciate it, and thanks very much for your time. Thanks a million. Strange noise in Knocknahini going on for about a year, sounding like a diesel generator down the end of a tunnel, or perhaps a an ESB substation, which they seem to have proved it isn't. Can anyone shed any light on that, please? one 104 106 Now, the groundswell of support for Rachel McElroy and her comments uh, is just overwhelming here. Lots of stuff coming in by text. She's a brave girl that will have to live with this for the rest of her life. Not only the trauma of the attack, but the trauma of knowing people could have helped her but didn't, says Brenna. Why would you record a girl getting assaulted and do nothing? Shame on this country. What are people rearing? The ones who stood by and done nothing should be classed as accomplices. The tow rags, says Bridget. Those that videoed it and then shared to social media and did nothing to help should have been arrested and charged. It's quite shocking to think that those who have power to stop an act like this would just film it instead and further assault the victim by sharing it publicly. Mobile phones have been the ruination of people, says Joan. Poor girl, please God she can begin her recovery. As for the perpetrator and those vile persons that videotaped the assault, I have no words, says Anne. More education for college students about consent, please, and perhaps curfews and alcohol limits for assaulters after they have been discharged, says uh, Lauren. Uh, Anyone who stood by and allowed this to happen should be charged, accessory to a crime, says Yvonne. Wishing you well on your road to recovery. The disgusting adults that filmed this horrific attack should also be held accountable and prosecuted. Six years for the attacker is too small a sentence for the animal, says Joanna. Brave young woman. The people who videoed should be named and shamed and charged, says Mary. How can anyone record and not act is beyond me. Fair play to her for her bravery and waving uh, the right to anonymity, uh, says Rob. There's three or four more. And uh, this is a modern society. People care more about their virtual footprint than their real lives around them. The obsession with getting noticed on YouTube, Facebook or TikTok is what drives these young people to film stuff rather than help someone in need. This girl deserves a medal for being able to openly speak about what happened. I hope she finds the peace and happiness she deserves, says Martin. Uh, Well done to her for being so brave and hopefully she can move on with her life. For anyone who recorded it, you were just as bad as the attacker, says Linda. And a couple more. Oh my God, bless her. What kind of people are out there to let this happen to a young girl, said Martina. And those people who recorded the attack should be charged. What kind of a low life of a human being would do something like that, regardless of it being consensual or not? To record people is just sick. Such a brave girl. And well done, Rachel. Now, back to our phone lines. Good morning to you, Charles. Hi, good morning. Now, you uh, reckon it's total nonsense to have children wearing masks today? Well, I'm picking up on your call a day while ago that sounds very distressed uh, without children having asthma and being forced to wear masks and all of the above. Like, our legislation states that if uh, wearing of a mask distresses in any shape or form, you are eligible not to have to wear a mask. Uh, I'm just tired of the nonsense of what we're putting our children through over the last two years of a variant now that said it's less of a strain, more contagious, but less of a strain than 
the original COVID that they came up with. Most of the masks that people are wearing, even in cars on their own, which must obviously be affecting their own immune system, walking streets on their own with masks on them, they're, coming, they're becoming a fashion item. The masks that people, 90% of people are wearing were glorified T-shirts the day before or were a scarf the day before that. There was some woman on TV three day there making masks out of old T-shirts and socks. Like, are we that stupid to buy in wearing these masks and taking them off and putting them into your pocket and wearing them the following day and wearing them the day after and then washing them with your underwear and then wearing them the day after that they serve any purpose whatsoever? They don't have any purpose whatsoever. You go on the street there, do one of your researchers walking on there, look at all these lovely designer masks that pennies are selling for, is it one forty? Please tell me that we're not that stupid of a society to buy into the nonsense that our government are throwing at us, that these masks serve any purpose. Excuse my French, but they wouldn't hold out a fart. <laughs> if you're making one of yeah. an old sock or an old T-shirt, I can't imagine they'd be much good. There was a lady on TV3 there showing a photo, but look, but look at what masks are out there. Look what masks you're walking, seeing every day of the week, street, and you're walking yourself. That's pennies are selling for a euro, dun stores are selling, or garages are selling with their leopard skin and all this carry-on. Like, please tell me that we're not that stupid that we believe all this nonsense and we're, we'd be bred into us. Keep your, keep your citizens afraid and you let them do whatever you want. That's been down, down, down through the history since Hitler. We're back to a stage where they're treating us like fools. They're, they're going to they're gonna destroy our children's immune system by wearing a mask inside in cold classrooms with the windows opened. It's, it's just really getting so bloody stupid that every person in society should stand up and say, do you know what? We've had enough of this nonsense go away. Show me the figures of how many people died with, with pneumonia, with the flu, with the or old flu that we used to have. It is just getting stupid. These masks serve no purpose whatsoever. They're not medically designed to keep out nothing. And as I said, they were probably a t-shirt three days beforehand. <laughs> uh, now, several officials have said they expect that Neffet uh, we'll discuss whether to recommend curbs at this meeting today. Uh, and they, they are, I believe, giving uh, consideration to uh, extra curbs in the run-up to Christmas. We're not hearing any sort of leaks about lockdowns uh, or any lockdown-style measures yet. Uh, it is very close to Christmas, and we are aware, of course, that... Uh, uh, we went at it a little fast last year and had to be shut down very sharply at Christmas time. Uh, can you blame them really for having a strong reaction here to Neffet advice and taking it to the letter of the law or the letter of the spirit of the of the intention? Well, I just don't buy into the lies we're being told by anybody. We're, we're told this strain came out of Africa. They closed down the flights into Africa. Then they discovered, no, Africa actually only announced that they had this strain. But now they discovered, I think, I think it's 13 different countries have it, and they don't even know when it, when it, where it came from. Why in the God's earth do we close down a country, no flights enough, because it might have come from there? It seems to be like we'll, something happens and we'll all jump on the bandwagon and or we'll stop people living a normal life. We have to build up an immune system to this flu. That's the only way you're going to fight it. Wearing masks on your own inside in a car. Some people wearing gloves in a car on their own. I'm not quite sure that they're staring we'll have COVID, but maybe it does. It's just beyond stupid. We've, we're, we've turned into a society of stupid people. And if you're stupid, you'll buy into any lie 
regardless of what it is. Our government of today should be ashamed of their lives because all they've done over history is lined their own pockets, lied and robbed the country blind. They're doing exactly the same thing. Is there a disease out there? Everybody knows there is. Is it the new flu? Yes, it is. Contagious it is. Or give me the facts of how many people died prior to this from the normal flu or any other disease in the world. We're, we're going to destroy our society. We're going to destroy our children. We're going to destroy their immune system. We're going to bloody wear masks inside. inside. The minute my daughter of 13 years of age tells me she doesn't want to wear a mask, guarantee you that's the day she will not wear a mask. If, my, if our schools decide they don't want to teach our children, I'll sue them. If our government decide they, want, they want to force my daughter to wear a mask, I'll sue them. It's nonsense. Pure nonsense. Strong words, Charles. A lot of support for you out there as well by text, you know. It's just nonsense. Let's get on with life. And, 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 and one, and one particular one them. against you now. Uh, can you ask this genius, what's the recommendation then to overcome COVID from your, for, on your behalf? Build up your immune system. What, what have we done with every other disease in the world before we had all this technology that they could frighten us 24-7? Go back when I, like I'm 58 years of age, go back when we had lovely RT1 and RT2 in black and white. You turned around and you didn't have your information bombarded into your face morning, noon and night. They terrified our elderly people not to go to mass, but you could still have functions up with our government, up the country, with us swanging around the place. They're terrifying our children not to go into school wearing masks, but you can still go to a GM match with 40,000 people on it, none of them wearing masks. You can go to watch Monster, none of them wearing masks. What is, what, what, like, it's nonsense. You cannot have it every way. You can't say, oh, don't go visit your family because you'll kill your grandmother. Bullshit. You have to turn around and be consistent across the board or not at all. It is nonsense. Any fool that be buys into this nonsense that these masks that they're buying in pennies will serve any purpose whatsoever apart from looking like a fashion statement is nothing but a fool. Okay, whatever about the t-shirt masks and the sock masks and the cheap masks that you can buy dime a dozen in the shops. Uh, there's yeah. a report in The Guardian, thanks to Mark Willington for this, uh, on the 18th of November, so a couple of weeks ago. Mask wearing is the single most effective public health measure at tackling COVID, according to the first global study of its kind, which found that the measure was linked to a 53% fall in the incidence okay. of, of the disease. So why so we, why are our so-called government, our intelligent rulers of this country, not forcing people to wear the proper masks. Let's say you take down asbestos. Do you think you can take down asbestos with a mask you buy in pennies? Absolutely not. Because there's obviously... I wouldn't take it down in a, has- in, in a space suit. Well, exactly. Well, you actually can if you do. As long as it's not cut, you, as long as you wear the proper equipment it is. I'm in the construction game. And again, it's, it's when it's cut. But we have masks that we're telling our children to wear that according to this, uh, this document that came out, they have no purpose. Because they're not medical masks. They're just glorified T-shirts. Okay, well, it's... So what, what, what's forcing our children to wear these glorified T-shirts. What's so true is that... What, what's true is that vaccines, or seems to be true, is vaccines are saving lives around the world. But most don't, of course, uh, confer on uh, the user or the taker 100% protection. Most countries also have not vaccinated everyone. Uh, we're pretty high here at about 93% of the adult population, I think. So it's still not yet known if jabs will prevent future transmission. Uh, the Pfizer CEO has said it's more than likely you'll need a booster every year. Uh, and globally, COVID cases have now exceeded 250 million. So what that, so what that becomes then is force about flu injection. I never took a flu injection in my life. 
I just take, I, I watch the seasons and I watch when they change and I take a lot of vitamin C and a lot of uh, vitamins in general, just watch the weather start changing because if you're out in the air, we'll be saying construction side of things, you're in a t-shirt during the summer and the, the weather changes quite fast. All right, so we now we're going to be forced to take a flu injection because that's what it is. We're not forced it's to take a flu, flu. injection. One, 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 one second, Charles, stay with me a second. We have a caller on the line, Peter, who's not happy. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. First of all, my condolences. Your brother died five weeks ago from COVID. Yeah. Yeah, 55 years of age. He died. I mean, he'd love to be wearing the mask today. We can't. So, like, I mean, their COVID is out there and it's, it's, it's killing people. People don't realize you get the vaccine, take the vaccine, take everything we can do to try and stop this shit. I'm sorry, but... Uh, but that, 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 does, does that include masking children in school? Listen, if, if it's going to help, if it's going to help, why not? If I need to Silent, can I just come in there briefly? Yes, Charles, go on. Yeah. I, have Peter, I know Peter very well, actually. Peter, my condolences obviously goes out to you, your family and your brother. Uh, I know Peter with a lot of years. The point I'm making, Peter, is not that there isn't a disease out there and we know what it's doing, but so did the flu. What I'm getting at is this, the mask that they're making our children wear in schools, none of them. I guarantee if you went to a school tomorrow this morning, I'd say if, if one of a thousand was wearing a proper mask that would stop any virus or any disease entering their system, they're wearing nothing. They're wearing glorified T-shirts. Wearing a glorified T-shirt, putting our children in rooms with windows open, wearing a glorified T-shirt around their face, serves no purpose whatsoever. We have total inconsistencies across the board with what's coming out of government. Go here, don't go here. Stay in if you can stay in. Stay out if you can't stay in. Go to work if you can't go to work. There is no consistency to fight anything whatsoever. Peter, will you t- tell me about your brother and what happened and do you know how he contracted the disease? And Well, he basically contracted the disease unknown where he got it from, but he did suffer from COPD. But there, there's people living with COPD. I mean, he just happened to be the unlucky one that couldn't cope with it. Mm-hmm. Did he end up in the hospital? Just, intensive care? Yeah, he was in intensive care and we got to see him before he died, two by two. But he was buried, to me, he was buried in, in, his, in his hospital gown. He didn't get to see it to be able to see to us. Why was that? They just didn't close, they closed the coffin because of COVID. Fucking nonsense. Yeah, I, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was uh, required or a requirement of... Well, it, it was a closed coffin. We didn't get to see him laid out. Right, okay. So sad. So sorry for you. Oh, I'm very sad. Yeah. Very sad. And you know Charles, do you? So, I do I know Charles well, yeah. I, I, I agree totally what he's saying. Like kids kids are seem to be the you know, the next step. We blame the next step. We blame the kids. You know what I mean? They don't have any consistency in anything they don't. Peter, there was a lady, I think, uh, yesterday or the day before came out on the news. Or, 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 there was a radio station to say that the children should wear masks because they could kill their grandparents. That is appalling. That person, whoever said that, should be buried. It's appalling. It's a disgusting thing to put on to children to say, if you don't wear a mask, which is a glorified teacher that wouldn't keep out of fart, that you're going to kill your grandparents. It's disgusting what we're doing to our children. 
We've had some bit of a life before all this crap. We've had some bit of a life before. We've always had a government that's robbed us blind, going back to Hawaii and his islands and all of the above. But we at least had some bit of a normality life. Children now have this so-called disease in their face 24-7. It's on the news, it's on the radios, it's in their school, they can't walk into school, they can't walk into a shop. It's on their phones, it's on their tablets. It's disgusting. As a society, what we're doing to our children. Disgusting. I feel sorry on anyone that lost some, any member of their family, especially you, Felix, I know you with years, but what we're doing to the society of our children is disgusting and there's no other word for it. Uh, the texts are coming in support of you, Charles. Well done to this man. Eventually, someone is speaking out loud. People should wake up and realise that we have to learn to live with this. Yes, Charles, I totally agree. People are running scared, listening to all these threats and rubbish. They haven't a clue what's going on in this country and they don't care. Well said, Charlie, a rock of common sense. Finally, a man talking sense. Let's get together and end it all and love this guy. Finally, someone says it as it actually is pure nonsense. So you've got your supporters, Charles. Well, look, I don't want supporters. I, I want my family back. I want my, like, my, Peter knows my mum passed away just before COVID. I swear this on my life. If my mum was inside in the hospital and this COVID was going on and somebody tried to stop me seeing my mum or bringing her home, over my dead body would they stop me. Over my dead body. We've destroyed society with this nonsense. It's a disease. Build your immune system up. If people want to take a jab, take a jab. Build your immune system up and it will die out like any other disease. All right. It's disgusting what we're doing to society. Condolences to you both then on uh, on your last, recent loss, Peter, and not so recent loss, Charles. Peter, uh, I was away when your brother passed away, but my thoughts are with you, buddy. Thanks a million, gents. Thanks. Good morning. You can call the program on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text us or WhatsApp us on zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Two hundred and fifty million cases of COVID exceeded around the world. The virus is still infecting fifty million people worldwide every 90 days uh, due to the highly transmissible Delta variant with thousands dying each day. Uh, but the fart analogy is used in masks and f- uh, mask comparisons uh, quite a lot. And here's a line from the Metro newspaper on that comparison. The anti-maskers appear convinced that the fart comparison undermines the consensus on face coverings as an effective tool against the virus, despite widely available explanations from scientists. Here we go. Respiratory droplets are much larger than gas molecules, uh, such as those produced by their bowels. So the masks can be more effective than preventing the ingress of a fart. That's the scientific uh, take on it from the Metro newspaper. Respiratory droplets are much larger than gas molecules such as those produced by their bowels. One is a gas and one is a droplet, so the masks can be very effective. Good morning, Lorraine. Hi, how are you, Mick? Good. You're in support of Charles, are you? I'm I'm very much in support of Charles. I'm actually fuming myself. Tired of the whole thing? I am so... Do you know what? It's bad. It was bad enough, like, like, do what you want to the adults. Do you know we're adults? We can make these choices. But you have vulnerable kids that are going into school worried about wearing masks and getting points on apps to get thumbs up, thumbs down because they're not wearing their mask properly. I was talking to Neil last week about this and it's absolutely disgusting what they're doing to those children. Um, Can can I ask you, and I'm not expecting you to know this, I'm just putting it out there kind of rhetorically. 
uh, if you send your child to school not wearing a mask and they're sent home, are they marked absent or are they marked in? I'll and if she doesn't wear a mask, she'll be sent home every day. That's what I was. That's what I want to know from people. I'm actually not on social media myself, so I can't really kind of get in the know um, of what what people are saying. So I just want to know. I want. I I rang my daughter's school this morning. I told her that my daughter is very upset going to school. She's gone into school wax in the face, and I, her principal. I won't name the school. Her principal was very understanding. I said I'm not. It's no reflection on the school. No reflection on the staff. It's to, it's what was put on top of them. And it's not fair on the schools either. It's very unfair. And she she was happy enough. She, she understood where I was coming from. So the, the school possibly had no idea from. this was coming down the track with 16 no, hours notice, not. a mandatory mask wearing program. No, they didn't realise that it was going to be mandatory. And what I want to know now is if I refuse to send my... If I obviously I want my daughter to go to school. My daughter loves going to school. She wants to be in school. And if if she goes to school and I tell her not to wear her mask, is she going to be sent home every single day? Yeah, when when is the Christmas break? It's still about three weeks away, is it? There's about three weeks left, I think. Yeah, there's there's a sem- yeah. uh, there's a sort of a sense that the government just need to get us over that line and take the Christmas break. Maybe enough. curb Socialising, maybe do what they did last year and close everything down again in the new year. But how? Could, but all these people can go into matches and nightclubs, and these children have to wear these masks going into school for six hours a day. It's not fair. It's not. It's not right. It's not not right. And I think that we as a, we should all stand up and we 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 have to do this. We can't let this happen to our children. They don't have a voice, and we have to be their voice. That's a fair point. I, I have family members who wear masks eight, nine hours a day for work. Uh, I do too. I, I, I struggled I do to wear one on a bus. Took a bus to Dublin and took a, took a positive, you know, a short flight to Portugal, two and a half hours. Now you're wearing the yeah. mask in the, on the bus, you're wearing your mask in the airport unless you're sitting down eating, and you're wearing the mask full time on the plane unless you're having a, a coffee or something. And I found it very, very debilitating. It's just very, very claustrophobic, I suppose, to be the word. Yeah. Well, listen, Mick, Charles made a very valid point there a while ago. He made a very valid point. The masks are not even being worn properly. Like, I have a 13-year-old who's in secondary school. He's getting points, thumbs up and thumbs down, because his mask, he's not wearing his mask the right way. Who's, who's giving those They're, points? On social media, is I it? Na- no, they have an app in the school. I was, ex- I was telling Neil that last week. My son's um, in first year. He, there's an app on the... They have okay. an app. And you, you, it's, and it's you get thumbs up or, 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 or thumbs down, depending if you're wearing it properly yeah. or not. Yeah, it's not it's specifically for the mask, no, Mick. It's for just a general all over how they're doing in school, homework, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they do get points, thumbs up, thumbs down for, no, he's gotten them. He's gotten plenty of them because he actually hates wearing them. Isn't it hard to believe what's gone on in the last two years, Lorraine, that uh, this time two years ago, we were all bored senseless from a thing called Brexit. And look what's happened in, in the last two years. The, the change in society, the change in attitudes, the change in um, the gentle nature of people has been eroded in, in some people. Uh, it is, it is having an effect and it's going to take us a while to recover from this, especially as we're probably going to be dealing with variants for three or four more years. But it's not. We can, like we're adults, we can, we'll get, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. 
but leave, like leave the kids alone. That's Pink Floyd you know, said. Hey, teacher, alone. leave these kids alone. That's how yeah. we started this conversation. Thanks a million, Lorraine. Where, yeah, where do you go from here? Are you going to continue to send your child to school I, without a mask? I be honest. I've sent a letter. I've, I sent a letter. I went to my principal explaining about the um, how I felt. And, and is, I, it, is it just a tomorrow. feeling, or is, would she be medically entitled not to wear a mask? No, she's not medically entitled. Just doesn't want not, to wear one. Not yet. Anyway, she's just she just finds it difficult to wear them. I mean, like how 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 can you expect to learn? When your masks, when your face, you can't breathe under masks. The social aspect of it, even talking to their friends, it's crazy. Like my son went into first year and he met, he met all these boys that he never met before through a mask. He's looking at them through a mask. Yeah, I, I know. You know. Let's see where it goes because I just, they're, 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 I just want us all to stand up. We all have to stand up. Come on now, people. Yeah, we're not in France, though. We're in Ireland. I know, and that's exactly it. We take that's a lot. Exactly Lorraine, it. I'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Bye. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Now, no, once again, not going to get to this before 11 o'clock, but we will get to it directly after news at 11, okay? It's our Neil Prendival show, Homefront Giftware Giveaway. And you can check out those amazing gifts and the myriad amount of them available on their brand new and revamped website, homefrontgiftware.ie. What we're going to do is take two callers and we'll take them on the air after news at 11 uh, for Homefront, a Cork family business specialising in all your giftware and interior needs. We're going to ask you a Christmassy question about a survey in a newspaper probably, and uh, whoever gets the closest to it will win the 200 Euro voucher. Family owned business established in Carrigaline in 1999, now in six Cork locations Carrigaline, Bandon, Middleton, Wilton, Douglas, and in Blackpool. But the big thing is the new and revamped website, homefrontgiftware.ie. Check it out, and you can do it from the comfort of your home, and then maybe order online or travel down to one of your local stores at Homefront Giftware. So that competition coming up after news at 11. Our lines are open 1850104106 or by text or WhatsApp 0868104106. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And it's time for our Homefront Giftware and Interiors competition. Round one today. We've got two rounds to go. Uh, here's the first one. Two 200 euro vouchers for Homefront Giftware and Interiors. And vying for the first one on line five is Lorraine. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning. Lorraine Owens in Glanmire, is it? That's correct. And on line six, uh, we have Shannon in Wilton. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Happy Christmas to you both. Happy, Happy Christmas. Christmas. Okay, guys. Uh, we... Uh, Lorraine was in first, you're going to get to answer first. Shannon, you'll come in second. But you've got an equal chance, OK? Now then, here is your question. According to a survey in Monday's Sun newspaper, what percentage of people say they plan to be more environmentally friendly this year by having a meat-free Christmas dinner? OK, according to a survey in Monday's Sun newspaper, what percentage of people say they plan to have a more environmentally friendly uh, Christmas this year by having a meat-free Christmas dinner? What would you think, Lorraine? Um, 20%. 20%, you say. Shannon and Wilton, what do you think? Yeah, I would say 26%. 26%, you say? Yeah. Lorraine, I'm sorry. we got to say goodbye to you because Shannon is the winner. Thank you, Lorraine. Yay.
Congratulations. Thanks. And do you know Thank what you. the uh, do you know what the actual percentage was, Shannon? No, that was just a wild guess. Twenty six percent. What? That's crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. You got it right on the button. So well done to you. We've got a 200 Thank euro voucher for Homefront Giftware Interiors for you. Uh, get yourself on straight away to their uh, new and improved and uh, revamped website. It's on homefrontgiftware.ie. Logged on there during the news. It's a fine thing altogether. Uh, plenty selection there. Homefrontgiftware.ie. We'll get that in the, the post to you and have it in time for Christmas. Well done to you. Thank you. Thanks Bye. a million. Cheers, bye-bye. And of course, Homefront Giftware is a Cork family business specialising in all your giftware and interior needs in six locations. Carrigaline, Bandon, Middleton, Wilton, Douglas and Blackpool. Once again, uh, we send you to the website. It's uh, brilliant. Homefrontgiftware.ie Now, we, I feel like absolute crap when I saw Mum's new pictures is uh, a topic that uh, we have by email. Six months ago, I had a healthy baby girl. She's my first child, so everything is still a little new to me. I didn't want to be putting too much pressure on myself losing the baby weight. Uh, but I was feeling so down about it, I started going back to the gym three months ago because I'd put on 20 pounds. I've only lost six pounds so far. It's so slow coming off. I know it's not a lot on the scale of things uh, that I've put on, but I found it very hard. The reason why I'm emailing uh, is the other night I was scrolling through Instagram and I just felt like absolute crap when I saw a new mum post some pics. She was wearing a little crop top and leggings. I'm not exaggerating when I say she looked like she hadn't even been pregnant. She was uh, back to herself within two weeks. Some people have great genes when it comes to weight loss, but I do think people need to have more responsibility when posting these kinds of pictures. Uh, as I know, new mothers like me will be affected. Feel like absolute crap when we see this on social media. Please don't share my name. Thank you, says a new mum. Uh, one more. Uh, no, we'll go to our phone lines, will we? Let's go to uh, line one and to Fawn Clark. Good morning, Fawn. Yes. And uh, from that email where somebody felt uh, terrible by seeing a, a mum's new pictures, we now go to the topic of binge eating. You struggled yourself uh, during your teens uh, with uh, with binge eating. You didn't understand enough about nu- nutrition. Is that fair to say? Um, hi, Mick. Yes. Yeah, I got into trouble with food. All right. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I suppose it was in my late teens and twenties, and um, started to come out of it in my thirties. Um, just. Um, I got into a space where I'd start eating and I just couldn't stop and didn't know why and didn't know what was wrong with me, very ashamed of it and um, tried so many things to stop, you know, um, but couldn't. Okay. And um, yeah, so um, so that anyway, over the years, I'm now 44, 44 now, I think, yeah. And um, so I've been free of it now for 14 years. So now I've sort of turned my attention to helping other people who were who are where I was to find freedom. Okay, now I, I know you spoke to Neil back earlier in the year on this. Could, could, could you try to define for me the um, what, what, I, what I think is food addiction? It's not just being, have a predilection to like food or enjoy eating, but what is kind yeah. of a food addiction to constantly be obsessed with getting the next snack or the next cake or the next whatever you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a very like addiction in that there's an obsession. There is um, um uh, reduced tolerance, so you need more and more and more to get the same effect. Withdrawals, um, and so so it's exactly the same sort of an addiction to alcohol or drugs. The only thing that's confusing is that it's food, and you need to still eat. So the question is then, how do you come to terms with it? But it's not all foods that are addictive. Um, it's um, 
it's certain foods, you know, and sort of certain eating habits. So um, they're showing now, all the science is showing now that sugar um, is really addictive. Well, certain processed, highly processed, highly palatable foods are really addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so for some people. So there's a combination of the foods that are addictive plus a predisposition to being addicted to them, if you like. You know, so for example, alcohol is addictive, but not everyone is addicted to alcohol. So I clearly had this predisposition to be addicted to it, you know, and it's a continuum, you know, um, and where somebody lies, like not everyone will have the same level of addiction as I will, but they still might struggle with this want for food that bothers them, you know. Uh It's no different to any other addiction, you know, some people will be, you know, um, will be bothered maybe by drinking far less than somebody who's on the street and still mightn't think they have a problem, you know. Could you tell me in the height of your addiction, and let's call it an addiction because that's what it was at the time. It really was, yeah. What, what was your typical day? Um, well, my typical day was would start with trying not to eat. So I'd get out of bed and, I'd, and there would be this sort of sense of impending doom over me, like a huge depression because this sort of feeling of... Um, the inevitable was going to happen, but I didn't know when it was going to start, so I'd get out of bed, usually feeling horrendously bloated and swollen from the day before. And um, I would, uh, came from a very stable, solid family who all got up and went out to work and felt immediately like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why can't I do what they're doing and just get on with my life? And then I would try not eat anything because I knew that once I started, I wouldn't stop. So I'd sort of delay having breakfast, but then, you know, and it's almost like OCD, is it? You can do nothing but think about food. Well, in the height, but it was, you know, like, you know, in all that time, I did manage to get a degree in psychology, and I did manage to go and uh, have relationships, and I did manage to um, do my get my nutrition qualification. So there were moments. There, there was sort of it would come in waves, you know. So I might be good for a few weeks or maybe a month, and and then I would just. Go off the go off the rails where you know it, it was just all consuming, and I would be you know at food stuffed in every pocket, you know to keep me through the day. You know wanting in a lecture, just wanting to get out to and um, get the next mouthful, or maybe I didn't even meet, make it to the lecture because I was so busy eating. And it wasn't always like I think it was probably at my worst when I was in my in I was in university in Dublin first and. Um, that was really bad and that I really couldn't make it to lectures or anything and everything sort of fell apart. But I sort of managed to live with it or learn to live with it and just about get by. But it was very hard to be in a relationship or anything because I withdrew because I was so embarrassed about what I was doing that I would just um, withdraw and I had a, you know, this sort of secret life going back and going on in the background and I was incredibly good at pretending that everything was okay when it wasn't. So, um, Did you have a weight issue from all the calories? Yeah, well, I did. I was like definitely like a lot heavier than I am now. But I, because of my um, not wanting to put on weight, I developed bulimia, so that kept the weight down. And um, hated doing it. Didn't want to be doing it. But I was didn't want to be. You know, I suppose I was conscious of my weight at the same time. So, um, so that was that. That was sort of you know. Um, a typical day, you know, and then you sort of eat, and then you, I, I never knew when it was going to stop, and then suddenly, I'd, you know, the craving would pass or something, you know, maybe after eating for several hours, and I would then just be satisfied, or there would be a moment of peace, and I really genuinely think I'm not going to do this again tomorrow. I'm never, ever, ever going to do this again. So and you you were aware through all of this that you were addicted. 
No, well, I wouldn't have called it addicted. I just didn't know that I, I, I was aware that I couldn't stop. And for years, you know, like it took years for me to, you know, so I first thought there's something wrong. I need to be more disciplined. I need to be, I need to maybe meditate more. I need to learn how to be with myself. And all those things were definitely true, but I didn't really understand. It wasn't actually until I went to a treatment center that I realized, geez, I'm actually addicted. It is an addiction problem. Once I start, I can't stop. And it's not starting on any foods because obviously I eat daily very well, but and I enjoy my food, which is the most important thing. But I um, I realize that certain foods I'm addicted to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once uh, I start eating them, they, it's like they light up my brain and the want for more is overwhelming. Yeah, I remember when we used to get our food once a week from a supermarket and to, you know, stock the house for the week and all that. And now everywhere you go, you can't buy a gallon of petrol uh, without uh, an enormous array of food, very highly well lit, um, screaming at you. Look, here I am, here I am. Uh, be it, you know, the jumbo breakfast roll. I, I believe that breakfast is a is an invention over the last couple of hundred years that um, a man, the hunter-gatherer, would never uh, ever have breakfast, and that's kind of a new modern invention. But everywhere you go now, there there's shiny sweet wrappers. There's uh, uh, you know your deli counters. There's pastries and breads and all sorts of things uh, to say. You know, pick me up while you're on the road because you need to. You know, you need to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, definitely, the food culture doesn't help because um, we are surrounded by um, advertising and foods that are so. Um, um, they're so hyper palatable that they, from someone like me, they'll really trigger, you know, not everyone is like me, obviously, but for somebody like me, they are, um, um, yeah, it's everywhere, but you do get to a place like I'm now at a place where those don't register with me, but at the beginning it was incredibly difficult. It was incredibly difficult to buy diesel or petrol and, you know, you know, pass those counters without giving in to the craving, um, and I suppose that is the challenge with food is that it's everywhere and it's acceptable. But I do think that our food culture at the moment is a little bit, out, it, not a little bit, it's very out of sync and that like the majority of the aisles in the supermarket I just skip because they're all foods that are, they're really not food. They're, you know, they're not, they're so far from the original ingredients that they do things to our brains and body that isn't, we weren't, we weren't designed for them. You know, we weren't designed to cope with the amount of, um, sugar in foods, amount of fat, you know, and, um, and the, the food industry, it, it understandably is about making profit. It's about selling their products and they make it as appealing as possible. Um, but I, I, I wonder, will there be a backlash towards that soon? And people with, with the rates of diabetes and heart disease and everything else on the increase and, um, and obesity, okay. um, you might need to change. But anyway, that's a separate issue to the... Sure, but t- t- tell me if you can about, about your journey to recovery, about the rehabilitation, about what you learned along the way. Um, okay, so I learned a lot along the way and it took time. Um, first thing I realised, when I went into the treatment centre, realised that, you know, um, sugar really for me and, and processed foods were, were really addictive. Um, but it wasn't just that. Like, so, but I needed, so the first thing was putting down the physical food. Okay. So then, then that deals with the sort of physical craving for more. Okay. And then you, you feel this sort of peace. Um, cause you've got, you've got off the substance if you like. Um, but then I realized that it was way more than that because, um, my thinking, um, would derail me. You know, I had to, I had to sort of, um, 
become very conscious of the ideas that would pop into my head, like, oh, you know, I deserve a treat today, or um, it's Christmas, so I, I, I think I should, I should, you know, treat myself, or I'm on holidays. I had to, I had to rethink um, my whole identity and realize and 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 remember that I'm, I react differently to food than the average person. So if I have that treat, it'll lead to what more. So and. When I accepted that, it brought huge freedom because there was no more struggle. There was no more trying to be normal or trying to eat like other people. It was like, no, that's not the way that I am. I can't, I don't react the same as the average person. So it took time like, to get to a place where I was fully ready to surrender to that, you know, about myself. And today, like I cook and I have no problem. I feed my kids and, and you know, I have no problem cooking and being around food of any type as long as I remember the truth about myself. And, and, and so... That I suppose that awareness, that a willingness to see the truth about myself, some people would call a spiritual experience or, um, you know... Um, a revelation, I suppose. A revelation or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's realising the truth about myself. And, and it's not just around that, you know. So, for example, if I get really, you know, if I get lost in myself and get too obsessed with achieving or getting or anything like that and become very... Um, uncomfortable in myself, I could easily revert back to wanting to use food to make me feel better. So okay. I have to live in a way that is, um, I suppose, where I've surrendered to life and let life flow as it should and not try and make and push and force things to happen. So I suppose in that way, there's a real spiritual element to recovery. So just putting down food alone isn't enough. There needs to be another part of it because you won't, no one stays, um, you can't stay on a, a food plan long term if you're you know, if you're if you're um, irritable and, and angry, yeah. and, and I understand. Now, now to to, yeah. to offer the full suite of services, you have now partnered with an addiction counsellor, Helen O'Leary, and you're going to launch your first online course on finding freedom from food, from cravings, from weight obsessions, binge eating, and overeating, etc. Uh, because it's very hard to manage binge eating as well coming up to the holidays. So let's talk yeah. to Helen, your erstwhile partner. Now, hi, Helen. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for, for your story there, Fawn. It was lovely listening to you. I just wanted to add a little piece to that too, make about there are a lot of people that experience binge eating that don't do compensatory measures, you know, that don't throw up, that don't take laxatives, that don't over-exercise. So, so they would experience what Fawn was talking about but without the compensatory measures. I think it's important to include those people mm-hmm in the conversation also because there's a lot of people, you know, that, that go on a diet, lose two, three, four stone, stop for a while, and then they go back and they gain all of the weight again. And it's absolutely soul-destroying. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's, and people don't know what, what the hell is wrong with me. Why can't I stop? Why can't I stay stopped? I think that's a really important question. When you, you were talking there, Mick, about like going into the petrol station and you know all of this shiny stuff in front of you, and 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 there's the deli and stuff like that. It's set up to cue us. It's set up to trigger us. All of the marketing. There's a whole there's a whole area of psychology developed around this triggering people, <laughs> and that's okay for people that can go in and. Th- can have one of something, but for somebody that goes in and is, is choosing a piece of food like that, and they, they're starting to trigger, 
they're starting to trigger. So I suppose like our our business is how can we support people to stop? Yeah, because on on the road, especially if you do any bit of travelling at all, and you're pulling into the motorway stops. Uh, you'll see there's probably about 10% healthy food and, and the, you know, the salads yeah. and stuff that you can get. And and the rest on a sliding scale is, is you know, you're, you're going to be looking at really, really f- uh, bad for your food if you if you choose anything yeah. but the salad. There's, you know, you, the deli counter is fair enough, but a lot of processed meats, a lot of sugars in the snacks, uh, a lot of chocolate and crisps there uh, as you have to mm-hmm. wind your way to, the, to, to pay for your diesel. You're walking through aisles and they make it walk like you're walking through an airport. Uh, through yeah. uh, through aisles of goods. That's true, and that's it's it's set up like that. That's that that's on purpose. They make you do that. They, that's why all the chocolate is 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 at the checkout, so that we are being triggered. So it's like, oh yeah, I'll just have I'll just have one of those. I'll just have one of those, and then you find yourself stopping at the next petrol station or then the the next junction to get another half dozen of them for the people that are in trouble with 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 the food. The the regular ordinary food is is not available. It's Helen, to get, to get on to the venture you, you both yeah. are undertaking, you're going to launch your first online course on finding, sure. uh, finding freedom from food cravings. Uh, it's nothing to do with any other addictions then. Is it just a food addictions? Just food addiction. Just food addiction. Make it, it's so necessary to help people with... And, I mean, when we, when we talk about food addiction, a lot of people won't identify with that. They won't have a clue what we're talking about when we're talking about food addiction that that would be an educational piece that 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 will happen but the idea if somebody is experiencing say cravings you know people go they have a bit of fast food you know an hour later they're hungry again or they they experience it as hunger but it's not actually mm-hmm. hunger it's craving for something you know that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be educating people about putting down the foods picking up foods that that are that are nutritious like make Food that we had long ago, like I, I'm an older woman, food that grows in the ground that hasn't been through one end of a factory and comes out in a box with a, with a food label on it. Regular fruits, berries, fish, proper meats, you know, pulses, nuts. And I'm not a nutritionist, but proper, proper food. We've, we've completely moved away from that. Mm-hmm. And, and and I want to pick up on a couple of points that the phone made. One is that there's an addictive nature to the food itself, not just in 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 the mental psyche, but also she said that uh, you know I I take a piece of food to celebrate something. If I got an exam result or something, I take a That's piece right. of food to celebrate something. I, I'm I'm reminded, uh, and I know it's in the alcohol side of addiction, but I'm remind, reminded of a line that was written about George Best. And it really stuck with me for years, you know. Um, and, and, and in trying to define what you're doing, this, this line came to me. And it goes like this. Alcohol, once the lubricant for success, became the refuge from failure. Mm. Very hard, very tough line, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of, of course, we, we, we have a treat. We give our children a treat. We give our, ch- our grandchildren a treat. So we're, we're used. To, we use food for everything. We celebrate with food. We 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 console ourselves with, with with food. But it's the type of food. The food is created to be addictive. You know, Mick. The do you remember that Pringles ad that was on TV there a couple of years ago? Once you pop, you can't stop. I do. Yeah. What are they telling us? That, what do they know about... Pringles are really, really nice. And when you... 
And I know the feeling. Absolutely. So they're creating that, that hyper palatability. No, I've no problem with, with the food industry. That's not my, my business, but it's, it's, it's what happens to the people that get in trouble. They're hyper palatable. They taste absolutely gorgeous. And then people end up eating a tube and going, oh my God, how did that happen? And not alone do they eat a tube, but they need a tube the following day, or they might need another tube, or they might need the, the, the few that are left in, in the tube in, in, in the cupboard is mm. absolutely whistling to them, calling. So l- l- let me go back to Fawn for a, mo- a moment, Helen. Fawn, what, what, what's, your, what's your ambition for this course? And can you tell me what, what, what it'll consist of and does it cost anything? Okay, so... Um, yeah, it, it, so we're going to be doing, like Helen said, workshops and um, sort of uh, classes around food, food addiction, you know, um, why why we eat the way we eat. I actually qualified as a chef, and so I, I will be giving cookery classes, teaching basic cooking skills. And um, and because of the, because of the sort of, it'll be a group, so there'll be that group support, and I think that's really important for anyone overcoming this, you know, hearing other people's stories. And, um, and obviously there'll be the emotional support from Helen, um, who's got years of experience doing group group work and working with addiction and um, I suppose our hope for the course is that we help people to understand, give people the tools to find freedom from obsession. The, the course is called Discover Your Food Freedom and it's about finding freedom from the need to eat um, to eat mindlessly. Okay, how, how wide a section of community is it aimed at, Fawn? Sorry for interrupting but I'm up against no, time. Fine. Yeah, 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 fine. It, it'll be... It, it, Anyone who finds that they are really struggling with their relationship with food, this typically tends to be women and women who are in their 40s upwards. That is who I typically find that I'm working with, or maybe their 30s upwards. And that, that are not, it's not to say that men don't have an issue, but they are, um, they are less likely to come forward and ask for help. And um, it'll all be online. It'll be two mornings a week um, and for three hours each morning. And um, it is five hundred euros, and it starts in January, the second week in January. Okay, and where can people get more information? So they can go to my website, fawnclark dot com, or they can see me on Instagram, um, fawn um, clark nutrition. Um, at the moment, Helen doesn't have a website, so we've just all done it through my website, which was already set up. Oh. Or I'm, we're on, I'm on Facebook as well. So probably the best place is the website or Instagram, and they can message me. There's also a few phone numbers on the website that they can call us and talk okay. through what the course involves. Now, you've walked the walk, Fawn. Uh, now you're able to talk to talk, of course. You've, you've, you've gone from being an obsessive binge eater to becoming a nutritional therapist. Yeah. So you've done the journey, and uh, and Helen's experience as an addiction counsellor will also uh, bring weight to that program. I wish you the very best. With uh, give give us the website once again. It's www.fawnclark.com. Okay, and that's F A W N. F A W N, and there's an E at the end of the Clark C L A R K. Oh, like Derry. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Fawn Clark <laughs> and Helen O'Leary, thank you both for coming on the program this morning. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Just turned 11.30 now. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 8104 Red FM. And a very good morning at 25 minutes to midday. Now, an unusual story. Good morning, Brandon. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I never was better, thank you. You sound like a man of good voice. Well, you try to be. <laughs> yeah. Used to be a lot, used to be a lot better, but. Um, now, tell me about what happened in 2017. You were at the Autumn Rugby Series. 
You live in the I UK, was, but you, you were home and you were at the Autumn Rugby Series. What happened? I, I was indeed. I try to make it every year for the uh, as many matches as I could get to. But anyway, I, I um, things didn't work out too good. I, I was at the South African match, and um, a couple of days uh, days later, I wasn't feeling too well. And um, anyway, it turned out I had a, a, a fairly mild heart attack. Okay. So. Um, they took me off to uh, Mullingar again. Full. I, I said at the time, and I'll say it forever, that I was so glad that uh, it happened in Ireland because the treatment I got was absolutely world class, no doubt about it. Where, which hospital were you in? I was in uh, James's, uh, St. James's in Dublin. Okay. And, uh, well, first of all, I was in Mullingar. The ambulance took me to Mullingar and I was there for a day, and then they sent me to James's. And uh, they, uh, James's. Um, they picked, picked out all the pipes, do you see, and, and uh, done a grand job on me. But then a uh, few little complications uh, set in. I had to have a pacemaker. So, um, you know, I, I, at no stage did I feel that I was in any sort of danger. Like, But uh, anyway, make a long story short, I uh, had to have the pacemaker, and uh, a, a surgeon called Mr. Murphy was doing the job. And I was on the operating theater, uh, on the operating table, and uh, Mr. Murphy was working away. I was fully sedated. I was totally conscious, and uh, I could move and everything, but I, I couldn't feel anything. So you didn't have a general anesthetic then? It was a, a local anesthetic? Just, um, it wasn't. It, it, I, I don't know what they called it, really. It was a sedation of some sort that pumped some stuff into me, and uh, I was fully conscious, but I, I, couldn't, uh, and I couldn't actually feel anything. So he was working away. You know, it goes under your skin and that, and he was working way doing that. And then he uh, started um, humming and, and singing very quietly a verse or two of the um, the Foggy Jew. The Foggy Jew. The Foggy Jew. And down the hidden one Easter morn, get to a city fair old night. But anyway. Go on, carry on, carry on. I know that's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop at that. The, uh, so anyway, I thought I'd, I'd join in with him. So um, the two of us sang away. I didn't know all the words, and neither did he. But uh, we sung what we knew, and uh, that was it. And he was carried on with his work. And uh, then when we finished the song, the uh, theatre staff they all gave us a big clap. <laughs> that's so. a memory to keep, isn't it? <laughs> so you helped each other along. He he was fitting a pacemaker to your heart. Uh, let's yeah. essentially open heart surgery. Uh, you've got um, the local anaesthetic there. You're 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 fully conscious, and you're singing the foggy Jew. That's probably a memory the uh, theatre staff will will cherish as well. Well, I've asked quite a few people, and and they say that it's worthy of a place in the draft Guinness Book of Records. It has to be the first time that a, a surgeon operating on a patient on the table started singing, and the patient joined in. So. Uh, yeah. Now, now, of course, the reason you contacted us was that you heard an 87-year-old singer. Tell us about that. Uh, it's just that I happened to be browsing through uh, through um, Facebook or whatever and come across that, and I thought he uh, he sang the song before his operation, but I thought, I well, I'd done one a little bit better. I actually sung during the operation. So uh, Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's 87-year-old singer Dennis, uh, the singing Corkman, and uh, you came across him by accident, and uh, 
You're trying to beat his world record. So you're sedated, open heart surgery and singing the Foggy Dew. I think that, uh, that kind of nails it, Brendan. Um, is it, would you say it's worthy of a, a place in the draft Guinness Book of Records? It's possible. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, that's, that's what I thought as well. So, and any, as I say, anyone I've told, the, the, uh, a lot of people won't believe it because I have been known to tell the occasion and tall tale, but that is, as I may never move from where I'm sitting, that is the true story. Okay. I wonder yeah. are there any more uh, waking up from anaesthetic stories out there? or uh, some funny things that happened while you were under the anaesthetic and that kind of thing. We'd love to hear from you at one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. In the meantime, are you back in Ireland much anymore, Brendan? I'm afraid I haven't been there. I was uh, supposed to be there for all of November. I booked to go on the 3rd and uh, for the rugby, of course. And, and uh, I had a, a bad cold. And then my daughter that lives in Ireland, her family got covid and she didn't really want me going to the matches, and uh, I had to cancel. So yeah. well, I then, haven't been there now since. The next, the next time you're in Dublin for an international, there's a little pub right next to the, uh, the central bank, and uh, you should go in there and have a pint and get get your uh, get your picture taken outside it. It's called the Foggy Dew, or known known to all Dubliners as the Doggy Few. Uh, okay, unfortunately, I, I I learned too late in life that. Uh, your your coat of pints or, or alcohol is set the day you're born. <laughs> so you gave it up? If, if I had known I was on a quota system, I would have paced myself a bit better. <laughs> but I had used up my lifetime quota 20 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> All right, Brendan. Get the picture anyway, whatever about the pint. I will, surely. Thanks a million. Cheers. Great talk to you. Thanks for Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, and now for something completely different. Daniel Leahy of Carew's Wood Garden Centre in Castle Marty. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? Very good, we're a little early, but uh, just in time in one way for, to talk about top tips on caring for the real tree, not the plastic tree now, uh, the real tree in your home this Christmas. What are the big tips? The big tips are to wait as long as you can really before putting it up, because most modern houses nowadays, they're so warm, and like especially with underfloor heating and stuff, like the, tr- the trees have been cut, so they're, they're going to dehydrate. Um, if they're in particularly warm places. So wait as long as you can. Um, and just before you put it up, give it a fresh cut about uh, a half of an inch off the bottom and straight into water, or even seven up. Uh, the glucose in it helps uh, keep keep it hydrated and keep the needles in. Someone um, said that to me this morning, flat seven up is, is, is great for, well, uh, for a Christmas tree. Flat seven up or even sugar water or even, you know, those sachets you get with cu- uh, cut flowers, they're glucose Pour that in, and that that'll help keep it up, and keep it topped up. But the th- the the trick is cut it just before you put it in, or as as soon as be- as you can, just before you put it up, and get the water onto it, because the bottom of it will have dried out and won't absorb the water that well. Okay, so th- these are good tips. What about these um, non-shedding trees? Do they also they also need the moisture? Yeah. They, they need the moisture. They're go- uh, otherwise, they're going to dehydrate and they'll get crispy and they just won't look fresh. They go brown, don't they? Uh, with time, they, they, they go brown. They go brown or they just can go a bit crispy and off colour. And you don't want that coming into Christmas Day. So the more hydrated and uh, keep it away from heat as much as possible. So away from a stove or an open fireplace. Um, and that's the best thing, really. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're trees that grew in the cold, really, aren't they? There are trees that grew in the cold. Now, this autumn and uh, early winter was quite mild, uh, so they, that could affect them a little bit. There might be a bit more needle drop than usual years, but um, 
the, the cold snap recently is uh, has been quite good for them. And also make sure ask if they're when they were cut and make sure that they're Irish so they haven't been travelling or they haven't been you know in containers or something somewhere okay that's, and that's also, good and also if you're buying them make sure that they're in a, a cold spot or an open spot that they're not inside in a um, air air conditioned uh, place or something okay. like that or unit with heat now you also want to share some advice for people interested in creating their own Christmas wreaths yes yes absolutely um, the best the best way to do it is you can go off and buy it gets like um, just a circular uh, wire or a, a circular oasis and go out to the garden pick uh, just cut some foliage get some hollies uh, with some berries on it cut some foliage off the bottom of the Christmas tree when you're trimming it and just wire it around and then add in a few decorations like that and that's a nice natural wreath and will look fabulous okay uh, and the wreaths are hanging on doors and things yeah yeah, you can do that. So with those ones, you'd need a, a wired uh, wreath. Uh, you can buy those or you can make it up with just a stiff wire and just wrap some branches around it and then just start uh, sticking in some twigs of uh, the pines or holly and just tie them in as you're going. And um, that's it. And maybe a bit of moss to kind of make it look natural and add on a, a couple of decorations like a, a robin or berries or something like that. Okay, I'm going to get the Christmas music in the background here now again. Uh, finally, uh, the best indoor plants for your home this Christmas, what are they? The best indoor plants, well, the Ponsetti are a fantastic one. The, the, the ones that everyone knows, the ones with uh, lovely red foliage. Um, also, the, the Christmas cactus, which are fantastic. Um, the uh, amaryllis, the, it's a bulb, and they'll, they'll be in bud now, and then they'll have a huge, gorgeous flower by Christmas. They're, they're the best. Our hyacinths also. Okay, and garden centres all over Cork, I suppose, and, and all over the county continue to be open through the winter season. Maybe not your busy season, uh, but is there reason for people to visit garden centres now this season? Absolutely. Where it's, it's First of all, for any colour for your front door, for your cyclamens, um, bedding, you know, getting trees for the front door. Most garden centres nowadays have their uh, good display of Christmas decorations also. And it's also tree and hedging season. So if you're planting native barrow trees or uh, native hedging, most garden centres will have them in stock now. And it's a good time to get them into the ground while there's moisture in the ground ready for the spring. Okay. Brilliant stuff. Um, listen, it's, it's a welcome change from talking about COVID and masks anyway, okay? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's an, a bit of an escape to get out to the garden, I think. Thanks. Everyone's happy to do it. Thanks a million. Daniel Leahy, Thank you're you. available, I guess, for advice in Carewswood Garden Centre in Castle Martyr. That's right, as you, as you go down from Cork, you go over the bridge and turn right, isn't it? That's correct. Absolutely. Okay. And for everyone working there, we're going to play a Christmas song now. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Number one from uh, Christmas 1984, a song written by Bob Geldof and Midge-Ure from Ultravox, that band. And uh, topped the charts Christmas 84 and, of course, led to the uh, the big Live Aid session in Wembley and in Philadelphia in uh, July, middle of July 1985. But that is Do They Know It's Christmas? And that is from Band Aid. Now, for Homefront Giveaway.ie, let's open our lines. We'll take two callers, please. On one eight five zero one zero four one zero six, our daily prize is a two hundred euro voucher. We give it out twice. This is the second one for Homefront Giftware and Interiors. And check out their new and revamped website at homefrontgiftware.ie for all of your giftware and interior needs. Why not support a Cork family business in Middleton, Bandon, Caroline, Wilton, Douglas and Blackpool? And they're plying their trade very successfully and making people happy in Cork since 1999. Get those... Uh, 
Fingers on the dials now and get uh, your calls into us and we'll take two callers and one will walk away with a 200 euro voucher for Homefront Giftware and Interiors. one 850 The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And all week on the Neil Prendival Show with Homefront Giftware and Interiors, we've been giving away 200 euro vouchers. And Homefront is a Cork family business specialising in all your giftware and interior needs. We're going to do our second call right now and hopefully give someone €200 Euro voucher. In fact, we will. Uh, don't forget, once again, check out that brand new website, homefrontgiftware.ie. Let's see where we're going. On line one, we have Kathleen O'Connor. She's calling from Valencia, but uh, is from Bandon originally. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good. Just in Valencia for the day or are you down there for a while or what? I live in Valencia. Oh, you live in Valencia, but you're originally from Bandon. Originally from Bandon, up and down to Bandon every week. Ah, you must bump into Mr. Prendeville down there quite a bit, yeah? Yes, I do. I see him around in Port McGee, all right? Okay. Let's go to line four then and uh, talk to your competitor, who is Madeline in Manan Bridge. Hi, Madeline. Hi, good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. Happy Christmas to you both. There can only be one winner. Thank you. There can only be one winner, so we'll see who it's going to be. And here is the question. Closest to the pin will win. Another survey question. A percentage will be the answer. And according to a survey by Tesco Ireland, what percentage of Irish adults say they love receiving a surprise gift? Think carefully now. According to a survey by Tesco Ireland, what percentage of Irish adults say they love receiving a surprise gift? Kathleen, you were in first, so go first, please. I'll try 65%. Mate. 65%. Madeline? Oh, I go 80%. 80%? Madeline, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Kathleen O'Connor, no you are the winner. The answer oh, was 58%. So you are the winner, and well done. We have a 200 euro voucher on the way to you with Homefront Giftware. And, uh, of course, you can check out everything prior to spending on homefrontgiftware.ie. All right. Happy Christmas. Thanks well done. Thank you and happy Christmas to you too. Thank Thanks. You. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. And we'll have our homefrontgiftware.ie giveaway again tomorrow with two more 200 euro vouchers to give away. Busy program coming up tomorrow. We'll be dealing once again with bullying. Hopefully an update on the Orla Flavin story. And hopefully an update on whether Joanne, who was bullied in a pub, uh, is going to get gainful employment. My thanks to the Neil Prendival Show production team led by Brenda Dennehy. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Talk to you in the morning after nine. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.